Welcome to Geek Exploration, the podcast, now with genuine people personalities, another fine product of the Serious Cybernetics Corporation. I'm Ben Robinson. And I'm John Williams. Grab your subethe sensomatics and your electronic thumbs, and don't forget a towel. We're talking Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Hey, Ben. Hey, John. How are you? I'm doing all right. Everyone is still alive, thankfully, in this uh, in this time of self-quarantine. How are things going over at your place? It's splendid. It's a nice Easter morning um, and uh, just doing some family stuff, having the kids yeah. look for eggs and whatnot here on the property. Yeah, we don't have any any property. So uh, I know the, the girls are doing some egg decorating, but we aren't doing any any hiding of eggs. You don't want to hide hard-boiled eggs all throughout your house? <laughs> yeah. I We thought about that, and I was like, man, I know I'm going to forget where I put one of them, and I will find it eventually once it's too late. Yes, it'll be very pleasant. So this was, a, this was a topic that we were, of course, going to get to eventually because we are such big fans of this, and it was you that called it out. I, I probably would have you know, waited longer just out of fear, but this is our official... 42nd episode not counting the uh the mini episodes and the bonuses so what better way to celebrate than with a hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy yeah and being the guy that like edits them and names the files i did 41 and i was like oh shit 42 is coming next there's only one choice for this yeah it would be remiss of us to not uh take take this opportunity by the horns yeah and i i wouldn't have even caught it at all and i appreciate it it escapes me when, you know, when something number 42 is coming up. We, I think I mentioned this on a previous episode, but Angelina and I recently went to a birthday party of her friends where uh, it was her 42nd birthday party. So she had a Hitchhiker's Guide themed party and you had to come dressed up. That is cool. So I've got I've got my Don't Panic sticker on the back of my uh, my Kindle Fire that uh, served as my my little uh, hitchhiker's guide and got to wear a bathrobe and PJs to a party and slippers. It was fun. I imagine like everybody there was wearing a bathrobe. Yes. <laughs> it's clearly the easiest costume you could come up with. <laughs> yep. Everyone had PJs and a towel. Did anyone not have a bathrobe? Did anyone like have a second head and a third arm? No, nobody. Wait, no, no. But there was somebody, uh, shit. What was it? There was somebody who who came in like construction gear of some kind. Oh, there you, you go. Know, as if they were part of like the Vogon construction fleet. And shit. Oh yeah, there was a lady who uh, who had a fish hat that it was a it was a Babel fish. Oh neat. Yeah, it was that that was pretty cool. Those are the only inventive ones. Everyone else was just PJs, bathrobe, towel. I mean, that's what you got, right? Like yeah. everyone's got that stuff. So uh, why not? I was kind of surprised I was the only one who actually made a guide prop. Oh, well, there you go. You got to go the extra mile, John. Yeah, suckers. Especially since like a Kindle Fire is uh, is about as close to an actual Hitchhiker's Guide as you could get. Yeah. Other yeah, than the it's, content. <laughs> it's the right size and shape and it's got information in there. Like, Yeah, it's got the whole internet in it. All it needed was a don't panic sticker. And the the internet is at least equally apocryphal to the actual content of the Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah. I bet there's somewhere on the internet where you look up Earth and it says mostly harmless. Oh, I'm certain of it. I mean, have you ever been to h2g2.com? No. 
uh, it, it, it launched year. I remember it launched years ago. It, it was basically a fan site kind of wiki, but it was kind of like Wikipedia, but, uh, for fans of, of hitchhiker's guide. So they weren't nearly as concerned about accuracy, but it is like the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy earth edition. That's exactly what it says. And, yeah. I and, just looked it up. Yeah. And people could go in and like put stuff in there. And so it's kind of a fan site and uh, just, you know, general silliness. Oh, all right. <laughs> Type articles. I used to go to I'm going to have to peruse that. When I was working in an office and uh, it was fun to look at. Yeah. So this is, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to get away from the whole predictable sentence of something near and dear to our hearts, but you know, we, we've got, we've got some history with this. I remember long before I ever read the books because I didn't, I didn't start reading them until the early two thousands, but you've been talking about this our entire lives. Oh really? You didn't read these in high, in high school? No, I didn't oh. read anything in high school to be fair, except comic books. This is most of what I read in high school. Like I didn't do much required reading. But uh, I did. I read and reread this this series a number of times um, instead of reading my required reading. Like I would get the Cliff's Notes for, you know, the Crucible. Yeah, yeah I definitely did the Cliff Notes for that one. But uh, yeah, I, I think I read all of maybe one or two of the books that I was supposed to read in high school. Yeah, and uh, instead read Hitchhiker's Guide over and over again, sitting there snickering to myself. Yeah. And it makes sense knowing you and knowing your sense of humor that this is one of those things that, that created it. This along with like, I mean, this goes pretty well with things like Monty Python and Weird Al. Like I'm sure both of those, you know, like the, the Monty Python guys and Weird Al, I bet they love this material. Definitely. They were, I don't know if they were chums with, but uh, they were definitely acquainted with and, uh, and knew Douglas Adams. It it is very British humor. Yes, that is for sure. It's very it's it's very dry and uh, absurdist, and um, just just you know embracing silliness in the most serious, straightforward way possible. Yeah, he definitely knew the guys at Python. Um, Terry Jones wrote one of his books, Starship Titanic. Was uh, basically Douglas Adams wanted to make a video game about a you know a, a starship where things go terribly wrong um and so he made a game called starship titanic yeah i actually have your copy of that i think oh, unless i gave went? it back to you no I, I i don't think i have it anymore but i used to have it okay yes it's in a box in my garage oh awesome. I, you you loaned it to me and i never got around to playing it but it was years ago yeah yeah it, it, it would it would come across a bit dated now but uh he wanted to focus fully on making that video game and so uh, he called Terry Jones up and was like, hey, would you like to write the book that accompanies this game? And uh, he did. Oh, shit. Now, is is Terry Jones the one that just died? Yes. Oh, okay. Have you read that book? I have. I have it still. How is it? Oh, it's pretty good. It is It is very uh, Douglas Adams-y and uh, kind of Python-esque. Like, it's, uh, it's good. So... Let's talk a little bit about the man himself, you know, before we get into his works. So the intro to the, uh, the, what is it? The ultimate hitchhiker's guide, the whole big, uh, one volume five book book. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. The big hardcover one. Yeah. I mean, I've got it in paperback now because somebody jacked my, uh, my hardcover one, this super cute girl that I knew down in Southern California when I was going to college. So 
I guess it's okay. She was just using you for your hitchhiker's guidebooks. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but so in the intro for that, Douglas Adams talks about how he was lying in a, in a field in Austria, kind of drunk and having not eaten for a couple days. And he had a copy of the Hitchhiker's Guide to Europe yeah. on him. And he was looking up at the stars and thought, well, what would a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy be like? You know, for, for those traveling uh, penniless. And um, what, what was it he said? He said something like, then he fell asleep and forgot it for six years. Yeah, yeah and then it came back to him later on. And uh, he ended up uh, writing a little uh, pilot script, essentially, for a, B- uh-huh. for a BBC show. And um, he originally sent it into the uh the production office of doctor who oh no shit yeah he he wrote a couple episodes of the original doctor who as well okay so he already had kind of a background in uh tv and radio and general bbc's yeah he he'd done some script writing for stuff on the bbc nothing um that uh anyone has ever heard of (laughs) or at least that i've never heard of yeah, or at least not not creations, because I've I've heard of Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah, I think he wrote some stuff for a, a show called Doctor Snuggies or Snuggles. Oh yeah, maybe? who doesn't know Doctor yeah, Snu- Snuggies? Doctor Do- Who's cousin, Doctor Snuggles. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and a few other things here and there. Um, but then, yeah, he did a couple Doctor Who scripts. I think back in the the Tom Baker days, maybe my old Doctor Who lore is not uh, not as good. But the eventually they decided, hey, let's make this, uh, let's do like a little radio drama of this Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy thing you got. And uh, it was, as I understand, I, I, I remember hearing it when I was younger. I found a, a copy of it and um, listened to it, and the audio quality was terrible. I think I had it on cassette, so it was like a bootleg copy that someone, that I'd gotten off the internet. Yeah, like the the audible equivalent of like when I bought that, uh, Roger Corman, Fantastic Four movie bootlegged on VHS at a convention when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I imagine it was better when it was put out, but it, the copy I had was pretty shit. Because I used to do a lot of, like, uh, back in the day before the internet had all the media on it you could want, uh, do, like, swapping stuff where, like, you'd you'd get, like, bootlegs of cassettes, like a certain, you know, either... Um, like, I remember I had a bunch of Guar stuff that was, like, radio interviews and TV commercials and shit that they were in. And you'd get that and you'd be like, you'd have a list that you'd post on like little bulletin board system things and or a few little websites that there were. And people would be like, oh, I want that and that. And then you'd like make them a, like a mixtape of all the stuff they wanted and send it to them and they'd send you the stuff they had that you wanted. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was pretty rad. I remember doing that when I was like 13, <laughs> sending weird shit to people <laughs> and getting stuff back. I still have some of the some of it lying around somewhere. But yeah, that's how I ended up getting a copy of the original radio production. And it was it was pretty hard to listen to because the audio quality was pretty poor. The voice acting was not great. Um, I guess they used like all stock sound effects. It was just like, hey, let's go put this thing together, grab a few people hanging around the BBC and let's do it. Yeah, like if we got a, got a hold of the script and decided to do it ourselves. Yeah, except I think they were like writing the script as they were doing it. So oh, shit. It's like the actors would come in, they'd be like, they would have just written the scene and they'd hand it to him. <laughs> so it's like coming straight out of Douglas Adams' brain onto the page and handing it to the actors. So like right now you can find on YouTube, like the, the old BBC records that they ended up putting out a couple of years later where they re-recorded everything and they are much better to listen to. Yeah, I think uh, that's what 
Ben Schwartz, the uh, the owner of uh, Empire's Comics locally here, he was telling me about a uh, a BBC production, a radio production, not the uh, not the live action video one that was really good. So I imagine that's the one he was talking about. Yeah, and and, and the production quality on it is pretty good. It is it's pretty solid. They they made a few tweaks to the script here and there. By and large, it's it's very similar to the original one, and uh, except better. And, and I guess they ended up making 12 of them. I don't even think I've heard all of them. I've heard like the first seven, maybe, that goes up kind of through Restaurant at the End of the Universe. But I guess they made more. Oh, okay. So it did go beyond just the regular one. I mean, the the first book. Yes. Yeah. Because that's, that's the shame with all these live action ones, especially like the movie, that it's only the first one. Like they, there could have been a series, but there never was. Uh, History wise, like they came out with the original. I think it was like 78 when they came out with the original one. And then Douglas Adams novelized it in 79. Okay, yeah. And then they, um, and then I think in 80, they came out with the, the BBC TV one. And it actually ran into Restaurant at the End of the Universe. Oh, okay. But not all the way through it. Oh, um, weird. I think it has two half hour episodes that are in, that are, that are restaurant. Because I remember it has like the, like the cow that comes out and wants you to eat it. It's like a little puppet of a cat. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's weird that it biggest phenomenon of it was the book. More people know about the book than they know about any of the other stuff. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people are surprised to find out that it started as a radio drama. Yeah. I I mean, I've read all the books a few times. There are, well, at least at least the first one several times. Um, I think the the entire series I've only read through once, maybe twice. Um, but I, I didn't know that at all until researching for this, for this episode that it, that it was first a radio drama. Yeah. 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 It, it, like it's, it's, it's a proper multimedia franchise, I guess, cause it started on radio and then it went to book and then it went to TV and then they did a movie. And I think there's been like an actual like stage play of it as well. Yeah. And a video game. Oh yeah. Oh, and, and comic books. Yeah, so like it's it's everywhere and that's kind of from the beginning. Like it the weird thing about the book is the book is an adaptation of the of the freaking radio. Yeah, thing. yeah. So it's kind of backwards where like you know people go like, "Oh, well the book was better and you know it did this." It's like it's so hard to make this book into a movie, which it is. Because one of the best things about the book is Douglas Adams' narration. Yeah, yeah, his his writing style is what sets this apart. Like he's got a way with words that doesn't make sense to me. Like <laughs> I, I, I remember when I was reading all the books and I was writing myself, like I was, I was just unconsciously channeling his energy, but like if I, I would look at it afterwards and be like, what the fuck am I even saying? Like we going into weird, like explanatory, uh, tangents, like in the middle of your thought. It's, it's so bizarre. Like you're like, oh, he walked through the door, but it wasn't really a door. Actually, it was more of a blah, 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 blah. And you go like an entire paragraph yeah. talking about this door. That's not a door. And then you're like, but he went through it. And then you move on with your story. Or in fact, th- you know, this door was invented by these people who did this r- ridiculous thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like the, the hitchhiker's guide says about doors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the, and, the, and the guide is a pivotal character essentially in those books because it comes, it calls back to it and just gives you all this weird nonsense lore. <laughs> but yeah. The fun thing about it is that uh, I don't think Douglas Adams gave a shit about continuity at all. Like he, it was not his concern whether or not any of these different adaptations like agreed with each other. 
or yeah. if the same things happened. Um, I saw an interview with him uh, on uh, Letterman's show where like he mentioned that, you know, the, there was contradictions in the stuff and he basically said, yeah, it's because I, I, I forgot and I don't, <laughs> I don't really care. <laughs> like he's making these things because they're fun and they're fun to read and they're entertainment. And uh, like, he's the opposite of like George Lucas, where they're trying to craft a huge, meaningful, awesome universe that's cohesive. Like none of that matters. Just we're, we're here to have a good time guys. Well, yeah. And I love <laughs> how in that, that uh, aforementioned uh, intro to the, uh, to the book series, when he says like the hitch, the history of the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy is now so complicated that every time I tell it, I contradict myself. And whenever I do, uh, or whenever I do get it right, I'm misquoted. Anything that is put down wrong here is, as far as I'm concerned, wrong for good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like he, I he was not that. concerned about getting it all right. And yeah. to his credit, the Hitchhiker's Guide is also unabashedly full of wrong information. Yeah. <laughs> so it's you know it's it's also full of shit. And uh, what are you gonna do? <laughs> So for those who don't know, who have never read these books, uh, first off, of course, what, what's your problem? What, what do you have against entertaining material? Um, but also just to, to give a little, a little background to it, I guess, uh, how, how brief do we go? Oh, on like a plot summary? Yeah. Um, I mean, you could go pretty brief and cover everything that occurred, uh, cause not a lot occurs, like in the first book, like not a lot of things happen. Like there's lots of, I guess, little things, but essentially there's a, the, the main character, Arthur Dent, his house is going to be destroyed. And then his buddy Ford Prefect comes by and tells him the world's about to be destroyed. And they catch a ride on a spaceship that, uh, they, that they later get thrown out of. And they get picked up by another spaceship that takes them to a planet where they make other planets. And uh, that's the end. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, like I went back and like rewatched the BBC TV series and was like, man, this, uh, there isn't a lot here. Like it goes pretty, like as far as like uh, plot points, like it's mostly good dialogue and funny little um, narrations about the guide and stuff. Like the, the actual events that occur are pretty minimal. Now, did you say this was the, the radio one or the video one? Uh, the TV one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I remember watching that, uh, years ago and boy, that the production quality was not very high. If I, unless I'm getting it wrong. I mean, it was, it was standard late seventies BBC sci-fi. The production values were about what you'd see in Dr. Who. Yeah. In fact, well, I guess, I guess it's just hard to get past the, the, uh, the idea of, okay, wait, so real quick, let's get this out of the way. Is it Zaphod or Zaphod, Beeblebrox? Uh, they say Zaphod. Yeah, it's only in the in the more recent live action movie that they say Zaphod. Uh, what do they say in the in the old BBC ones? I think they say Zaphod. Oh, okay. See, I only ever knew him as Zaphod from you growing up, which <laughs> that's how, that's how I always read it too. So it's it's weird to me, and I'm like. So is it going to bother somebody listening to this if I'm saying Zaphod the whole time? They're like, it's fucking Zaphod. Well, even worse than that, like when I first read the book, for some reason, I threw an I in there. Oh, yeah. And for like, like until I heard the, the radio production one, in my brain, it was Zaphoid. <laughs> and then like I was like, like, I was like, why do they keep saying Zaphod? What, what is going on here? And then I went back and looked at the book and I'm like, holy shit, there's not an I. 
Yeah, isn't that weird? I felt like, you know, an Australian realizing that it's not aluminium. It's <laughs> oh, I remember when I explained that to a British person, they were, they were nonplussed. <laughs> yeah. yeah you a, pull out the, the thing of aluminum foil and you're like, aluminum. And they're like, aluminum. Yeah. What? Wait, that is what? exactly how it happened. Yeah. It was this British girl in, uh, in Utah when I lived out there. Yeah. I did that to an Australian guy in, uh, in Switzerland. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> but, uh. Yeah, it blew my mind that I'd been saying it wrong in my brain for so long. Okay, so he's got two heads and three arms. So how do you do that on a TV production budget? You make a artificial head and just on, on different takes, you have one of them talking. And then on the next take or the next cut, you have the other one talking just so just so it's going back and forth at least. But Man, that was that's hard to look at. Like it it almost sticks out in my in my memory as like a fever dream, like just something kind of kind of frightening. It, it is, I mean, it's very clearly a paper mache head. Yeah. Though it did turn, like it could like while he was had it on his shoulder, it could turn and look around and its mouth moved a little bit. <laughs> but it, it, you know, it didn't say much, but uh but it did talk occasionally and look around and uh, he had his third arm that was just perpetually in hand in pocket. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, they were working with what they got. This is, you know, 70s BBC. This is not, you know, Hollywood. Yeah. Overall, I thought the production quality was pretty good, and I thought everyone did a good job of playing the characters. They all felt right. The script for that, I mean, it is a pretty much a word-for-word -word adaptation of the radio play. Yeah. Like, I mean, it is. it follows all the same beats. Almost all the dialogue is exactly the same. Now, is that available right now on Amazon Prime? I thought I saw it somewhere, but I didn't get a chance to go watch it. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's on Amazon Prime right now. Awesome. And how long is it? it uh, was that the one that you said was 10 episodes? It's no, it's six episodes, I believe. Oh, okay. And, and the episodes follow the radio play exactly. Like, I mean, okay. it, it is essentially the same thing. There are six 30 minute episodes. Yeah, I need to go check that out. Yeah, so the, the first four are the first book, and then this last two are Restaurant at the End of the Universe. Well, that's one thing that, I, that I've really appreciated about all the adaptations that I've checked out. Like, like, the, like you were talking about just now, the BBC, how, they, how it is Douglas Adams' language. And uh, the movie, and then also the comic book, which I was reading earlier. Um, let's see, it was like early 90s, I think, uh, maybe mid-90s. DC put out a three-issue adaptation of... The first book, and it was drawn by Steve Leahola, who's he's like an underground legend. You know, like like he's he's never gotten the uh, the big accolades like some artists, but those artists cite him as somebody who was a big influence on them in like you know the early eighties. But it uh it follows the language and the structure and like the the style almost exactly. Like, it's really cool. It, it, this one even opened up with the explanation of humanity about how they were mostly angry all the time. And it was usually over little bits of green paper and, you know, saying like that that whole idea of, of you know, 2000 years after a man got nailed to a cross for telling everybody to be nice to each other. A, a woman discovered why everybody was so unhappy and had the answer. And then the world was quickly destroyed right after. Yeah. So I, I liked that the comic opened up with that because that's a very unconventional line to open up your, like you won't see a movie opening up with that, but it was very Douglas Adams. This morning I was up a little earlier than the rest of my family. So I rewatched the 2004 movie. Is that when it came out? 
I think it was three, but it's somewhere around there. I don't know why I would even say that because I'm not certain, and it doesn't really matter that much. The early 2000s movie. Yeah, yeah. After I just uh, had to pinpoint a decade for a comic book that came out, so somewhere in the vicinity of ten years after that comic came out. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) we're playing it fast and loose here with time. Um, and and it opens with the whole uh, dolphins being the second most intelligent species on Earth bit. Yeah, which is uh, an interesting, which is usually not the beginning, but it was a really good way to open the movie. Yeah, with their their musical number for yeah. so long and thanks for all the fish. Yeah, it was cool. I liked that. So one thing that I that I love about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is the randomness of it all. Like it is so fucking random. Like the the bits in it. Like like there there is there is a story. There is a one hundred percent narrative, beginning, middle, and end. But just all the random shit that goes into there, like the dolphins being the second most intelligent creatures on Earth and and humans are the third. You're like, wait, what? I love the explanation of, you know, how we think they're doing tricks, but they're they were trying they were trying to warn us that the world was going to be destroyed. Yeah. And then they they leave Earth and the 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 last message was so long and thanks for all the fish. Yeah, and I also love that, like, you know, humans think they're the most intelligent because they built tools and cities and war and this. And dolphins know they're more intelligent for the same reasons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, look at these chumps over here, wasting all their time. We're swimming and eating fish, and it's great. Man, and, like, I remember the, the first time I read this book, the scene, like, towards the beginning. So it, it opens up, at least with our characters, with Arthur Dent, the main character, laying down in front of a bulldozer that's going to bulldoze his house to make way for a bypass or a freeway. And, they, you know, you've got your your super clever uh, Douglas Adams dialogue exchange, but then here comes Ford Prefect, the an alien who was a researcher for Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, comes to grab Arthur, and he actually, like, the, the way he convinces Mr. Prosser, the, the main construction dude, to lay down in front of the tractor for Arthur Dent until they get back from the bar. And I like how they've they've played that slightly differently in all of the different formats. Yeah, yeah. In the movie, they definitely didn't convince the new movie. They didn't convince him to lay down for Arthur. No, yeah. He just kind of hands out beer to everyone and says that you know they'll do that. And then in the but in the BBC one, like he gets him to sit down, and you can tell that Mister Prosser knows exactly what's going on. Like oh, he, really? Like he's not being fooled. You know, like, 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 you know, I think Arthur looks back at him and is like, so you, you won't knock down my house. And, and, and he kind of like looks, sits up and he goes, definitely not or something. And like winks at him and smiles like, yeah, of course, whatever. Yeah. I'm going to lay here until you walk away. And, but then in the radio plays, I don't, I don't even think they have him lay down in the mud. That's interesting. Cause they, they didn't, uh, they didn't, well, in the comic book, they like show him sit down in front of the bulldozer and Ford's just like, oh, he's going to wait here for us. They're like, okay, see you later. But they did, there was none of the explanation as to why Prosser would have done that. But I mean, that that one is so early on, and that's the sort of thing by Douglas Adams that just grabs you. It is absurdist humor at its finest. Well, and that's why it, it's most of the like the movie when they when they made the BBC series and the movie. A lot of it is made for folks that are already fans who already think this shit's funny. Yeah, and I think that was one, part of the uphill battle for the 2000 whatever movie was that uh, a lot of it's kind of like inside jokes. Like, like everyone that really loved that movie already knew everything that was going to happen to a degree. 
Yeah, and they don't get all the little tiny baby things that are like little bits of dialogue that was or for for example like you know they they've got uh, on the starship Heart of Gold they have that um does he have a name the the ship's computer that opens the doors and shit Eddie. and is all super happy. Yeah, Eddie, that's right. And there's there's a moment when they're when they're walking through a door like Eddie doesn't say anything on this part, but it just goes like <sighs> as yeah. the doors open. And it's like somebody <laughs> would have no idea why that sound is there. But like all, all of us, like all of a sudden it calls back to Douglas Adams, like paragraph about how it let out a, uh, a pleased sigh when it would open and close, you know, and, and you would never have any idea what that is unless you'd read the book. Like rewatching that movie today, like it was, uh, it, it hit a lot of the same beats. Like it hit a lot of the stuff from the original radio play and from the BBC show and missed loads of wonderful stuff from the book because books, you can just do more, especially with narration, which Douglas Adams was so good at. There's a lot of just like little bits and pieces that are thrown in that uh, don't translate well to film. Like it's kind of, it's always kind of awkward putting guide entries in the movie yeah see i i did like how they did it though to do the little uh the little animated segments with the actual narration taken right from the book yeah yeah like, I mean, like the hollywood movie did a pretty decent job of it even though yeah they i mean like the the more random offshoots about the history of the galaxy and like like we were talking about earlier you know something like a, a guy walking through a door like they they just can't do that yeah yeah just the little thousand little jokes Yes. Don't come through as well. But I, I thought they did a, a pretty good job. And, and like I was talking about with the sparseness of that movie or of the original, like the things that happened in the 2004 movie, they put that whole like subplot of uh, Trillian getting, kit, you know, captured by the Vogons and what's his name? Hava Kavula and stuff. Where yeah. They, where yeah. They go to with, with the, with the whole, uh, shit do i call him zaphod or zaphod i don't know what to do call him whatever you want i'm probably gonna say zaphod most of the time because that's what i've always said okay yeah uh i'll say zaphod just to just to please someone who gives a shit fuck him (laughs) um yeah when he when he leaves one of his one one of his heads with him now didn't that take place in a different book i don't know i don't believe so because for some reason, I thought that 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 plot line took place in a in a later book. And it wasn't until I was rereading the first one here where I was like, oh, fuck, like this one wasn't in the the first book. And uh, the same thing with Trillian getting kidnapped. Like I could have sworn that I've read the the whole thing about them going through the uh, the Vogon uh, bureaucratic process with like the the forms and shit. Like it, it all seemed very familiar to me. Oh, you know, I, it's been a long time since I read the book, but I don't remember that in a book. Oh, wild. I can't wait to, to get into it and see, see what I'm missing or what I'm creating in my brain. Yeah, because it's probably been a decade since I read these, and uh, I need to do it again. Uh, I, I think I've bought that hardcover, like a collected edition, like twice and lost and or lent it to someone and not got it back. Yeah, yeah. I have, I've lost two copies of it to uh, lending it out. And then I bought one used like a couple years ago and it showed up in kind of shittier condition than, than it was described. So then I finally just bought a new one like six months ago, just to, just to have a nice, fresh, clean copy. The hardcover one's so classy. It's got like the fake leather binding and like the edges of the pages are all painted gold and it's got the little like cloth, you know, bookmark string thing. Yeah. It's fucking nice. Yeah. It's got kind of like a, like a art deco 
design yeah. aesthetic on it. It was, it was definitely the nicest looking book I've ever owned. Yeah, so it was weird going through the first novel this time around and realizing just how little actually happens. Like, yeah, Earth gets blown up. They're on the Vogon ship. There's the poetry. Then they get ejected from the ship. They get picked up and then they go straight to Magrathea. Yeah. Yep. And it kind of ends in a cliffhanger. Like it does not. There's not a real ending to that book. Like it just leads into the next one. Yeah, they, they're they're just sort of done. And, the, you know, it's interesting having read the entire series and knowing where certain things end up, like with, you know, New Earth and Arthur and such that that you sort of make up, you know, things that, that happened in the first book. You're like, oh, shit, that, that that didn't happen right now. Like that that comes way later on. But I've got I mean, I've got issues with my memory of the uh, the entire series because I've read the first one and I've read restaurant a couple times but like I was saying earlier I think I've only read the entire series once or twice you know it, from from beginning to end so like I I remember you know I mean of course in the first book there's the whole big plot point the whole you know driving the entire plot that you know people wanted to figure out the answer to the ultimate question of life the universe and everything so they build a computer deep thought that thinks for seven and a half million years and comes up with the answer 42. And that's why we're doing it on episode 42, for those who didn't know. So then everyone gets pissed off and then they realize that, or Deep Thought has to make a computer that will calculate the question that leads to the answer 42. And that takes 10 million years. That question is the planet Earth and all the people on it. Um, so when the Vogons destroy Earth... Five minutes before the program completes. Yes, I fucking love it. 10 million year program gets destroyed five minutes before. So um, they they have to build a second Earth. Um, oh, jeez. I went I went off on a tangent. I could have stopped right at, uh, at you know, the, the answer being 42. So one the, the thing that I was leading to very slowly and, and haphazardly was... <laughs> In in the series, I don't remember. Do they ever actually say what the question is? No, I don't believe so. Oh, okay. And like I was, I was sitting here, I was like, do I want to know what it is if I'm going to read the entire series again? Okay, so they never say the the question. They do come up with the uh, when when the those people are trying to just make up a question. They decide on how many roads must a man walk down. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's their good bullshit answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. And for the rest of the series, like, like, I, I remember there being a time where like Arthur's transported back into like primitive days, like hunter gatherer days or something. Yeah. They do a bit of time, time jumping yeah. after a while. And that that's one of my favorite kind of like setups in the book. I, and I don't know if he, if he wrote it deliberately with a, an eventual setup in mind, but the, uh, the pot of petunias set up where, you know, the only thing it thinks as it's falling is, oh no, not again. Yes. And it turns out that it's, uh, what's his name? Like Agra, Agraboth or Agrabah or something like that. I have, I have no idea of the name. Anyway, it's some unfortunate creature that keeps getting reincarnated and killed by Arthur Dent over and over and over again. Yeah. Unwittingly. Like <laughs> yes, yeah. It, it just keeps happening. <laughs> yeah. And, Ar and Arthur doesn't know anything about it. And he like finally gets him. He's like, ha ha ha, you're, you know, I'm, I'm going to get you back for all of the times you've caused my death. You're like my nemesis. Like and he and he's recalling all the times that Arthur killed him, and then he comes up with one on some planet. And Arthur's like, "I've never been there." And he's like, "What?" He's like, "Fuck! I've got here too early." And then like a rock falls on him and kills him or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like like that one. It you read the book and you're like, "How the fuck did he plan that?" 
you know, because it, it took him like six years to write the second book. So like how much of this did he have in his head? Well, exactly. And I wonder like how much did he, did he just like bastardize some stuff that had happened and like said, Oh, that would be fucking hilarious. And didn't think of it the whole time. I don't know. But uh, either way, that's one of my favorite payoffs in the book. Well, and later on in the series, like Arthur, at some point he, he learns to fly, right? Yes. Like he, and and then he falls in love with this woman who can also fly. Like for some reason that sticks out in my head. Correct me if I'm wrong, but is, is that not the, is that woman, the, the lady who was uh, referred to in the beginning of the book as the one who figured out why everyone was so unhappy? Uh, yes, I think it is. Yeah. So with that one, that that's understandable that he's like, okay, he just wrote about, you know, a, a funny little anecdote in the first book about somebody realizing why everybody's so unhappy. And then, oh, irony, the world gets destroyed. But so he could go back and do that. But that pot of petunias, man, like, like just, just to, to, why would you even write that about a pot of petunias? Oh no, not again. Yeah, I don't know. And he's, he's got a bunch of stuff that he kind of sets up and it pays off eventually. Cause the, uh, and I think the, the fifth book came out in like 1992. Two, I want to say. So like yep. there, there was a big lull between like the fourth one and the fifth one, I think. Yeah. And wasn't the fourth one just like a, a, a novella, like a short, a shorter story. The young, young Zaphod plays it safe. Or was that the fifth one? Uh, that was, um, I think that was just a short story that was added in like a, as a bonus thing. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure that's one of the five. Let's see. There was, let's go over it. Yeah. We've got yeah, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Restaurant at the End of the Universe. universe. Uh, life, the universe, and everything, and yep. so long and thanks for all the fish. Oh, yeah, and mostly harmless. And mostly okay, harmless, yeah, yeah, you're right. That's the five. And then apparently, and another thing that came out in like 2017, written by some other dude. Yeah, I'm kind of scared to go read that. Yeah, I just learned about that like yesterday. I didn't even know that that was a thing. So uh, I am curious to uh, check it out. Apparently, it was written with um, like some stuff that Douglas Adams had been working on. Prior to his death, because he, he, he died of a heart attack fairly suddenly, like it was not expected. Like it wasn't a long yeah. illness or anything. He just, I think he was only 49. Oh, shit. So, uh, you know, it's sad that he died so young, but if only he could have died seven years earlier, it would have really tied things together. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, apparently it had like the structure and some stuff that he had been working on. And then this guy, uh, let's see, what was his name? I think it's like. Eowyn Colfer. And I think when, when Eowyn is, or when it's spelled like E-O-I-N, I think that might just be Ian. Yeah. Like the Irish spelling. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, uh, or no, maybe, maybe I'm, I'm mixing that up with that, uh, that like the guy who played Mr. Fantastic in the, in those terrible Fantastic Four movies, it, like his name looks like it's spelled like Eowyn Gruffid, but apparently it's Ian Griffith. Silly That's Irish people. Really bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. And it, like it's spelled like Owen, E O U G H N. Whoa. No, no, no. No, that's not okay. <laughs> Where was I going with all that? Uh, Another book was written. Yeah. Yeah. There's a bunch of books. So yeah, I haven't, I haven't read that <laughs> new one. So uh, I'm, I kind of want to go out and read it because I'm, I'm curious how it goes. Like I enjoyed, like I said, I enjoyed Starship Titanic and that was written by Terry Jones. See, I feel like there, there's been a couple times where I've gone to read a book that was finished by another author, you know, that was started by an author I loved that died. Like, um, what was it? Robert B. Parker finished uh, Raymond Chandler's book, Poodle Springs. And it just, it didn't, it didn't fit. It didn't feel the same and it just left me bummed. So I, I'm scared to do it because if it's not the same, 
then I'm just going to be let down. And that's going to be my last memory of, of reading a Hitchhiker's Guidebook. Ah, but I that. guess I could just read, read the old ones over again. Yeah, yeah. I'm, it, it won't ruin anything for me. Might be disappointed, but you know what? This is life. Sometimes things are disappointing. <laughs> that's just the way it goes. But it could be awesome. And uh, so I think the, the risk reward here is uh, in my favor. Well, you know, since we were talking about names, one note I made when I was reading through the book, I know that was that was a rough transition. <laughs> I'm grasping. Um, Douglas Adams wasn't one that fell back on like standard sci-fi names like Tyrax or like Zygor. Like he, uh, it, it was a tough adjustment at first because his, his names are so weird and random, but I really love it these days. Like, so we've, we've got, of course, uh, Zaphod Beeblebrox. We've got Ford Prefect who that, that was, uh, what was it? That was a, a very limited run, like little concept car or something. Wasn't it? Yeah. Released only in England because, yeah. because he thought cars were the dominant species on the planet. Yeah. So he named himself Ford Prefect. We've got uh, one of the main villains of it, or probably the main main bad guy in this, uh, Prostetnik Vogon Jelts. Yeah. Um, you have Slarda Bartfast. I love Slarda Bartfast. Yeah. I love that he's, all, he's also kind of embarrassed of his own name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you have Veet Vujagig. Uh, and then, of course, there's Marvin, the, uh, the miserable, depressed android. Love that he's got the most normal name. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You've, you've got like Marvin and Eddie who are, who are, you know, computers basically or robots. Well, and then some of the other funny names, like, uh, I don't remember if it was in the book. It was definitely in the radio play. The, the philosophers that come in and protest deep thought. Yeah. Yeah. You had, uh, magic thighs and uh groom fondle. Yep. Yep. Those, those were definitely in the book. <laughs> yeah. Magic thighs and groom fondle. <laughs> <laughs> Just good, silly names. Yeah. Like, and, and that's the brilliance of Douglas Adams is just his ability to come up with things that nobody would come up with and they work somehow. I don't, I don't know how he does it. Like he, he's got a way with words that like I was reading, uh, reading a little passage that I had to take note of where, where it said Arthur slapped his arms about himself to try and get his circulation a little more enthusiastic about its job. (laughs) <laughs> like that, that's how you describe like getting, getting blood to flow. Yeah. Uh, he's got one that says, uh, he had an odd feeling of being like a man in the act of adultery is surprised when the woman's husband wanders into the room, changes his trousers, passes a few idle remarks about the weather and leaves again. And, and that's how he describes somebody being kind of shocked and, and dumbfounded. One thing that I, that I, that I did a lot in my own writing when I was reading these, uh, these books, because it, it just, it came up so often was the use of the word mind boggling. Like that is, that just permeates the books. Like he, if he wants to say something's big, he'll say like, it's, it's huge. It's massive. It's mind bogglingly big. He loves that, that word mind boggling. It's a good word. Yeah. Or good couple words. Yeah. Good. And, and a good descriptor. So you, you said you just watched the movie this morning. Yeah. Yes, I did. Now let's, let's talk about those actors because, you know, a, a big part of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is the characters. So what'd you think of Martin Freeman's Arthur Dent? I thought he did a great job. I, I thought almost everyone did a great job. Yes. I, I was surprised like when I was watching, cause I hadn't seen that movie probably since it came out. Oh, wow. Maybe shortly thereafter I'd watched it again. Um, I don't rewatch movies much. 
But yeah, I, I went true. and saw that one in the theater because I was like, oh, fuck yeah, I'm so excited. Yeah, big budget Hollywood Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy movie. Fuck yeah. And I liked it. I enjoyed it. It was, it was not super well received. No, it's it's a shame. But uh, it it did a pretty faithful adaptation of the the source content. And I thought uh, I was surprised, like when it was the credits were rolling, that uh, how many people were in it that I knew. Yeah. I don't think I had any idea who Zoe Deschanel was when that movie came out. Yeah. Like, I think I knew her just from like almost famous, you know, like she was she was just a background player at that point before she started forcing all that glog damn music on us. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, Sam Rockwell as Zaphod, I thought, fucking nailed it. So, Looking so good. Nailed it. And it was really interesting how they decided to handle his dual heads and third arm, because they, they you could tell they just, they didn't want to do the whole BBC fake head sort of thing, and it would probably cost too much to try to CGI a second head on him uh, throughout the entire movie. So, like, having the other head, like, under his head and it would pop out and it was the crazy one. Yeah. I thought that was a good practical solution for that. Yeah. Cause it, it's not really story critical that he has two heads no, or three arms. It's just kind of like a fun thing that got added in there. Like I think when they first meet Ford mentioned something about how he looks good with uh, that new arm. Yeah. That new third arm. Yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> so it's, you know, it was just like a silly throwaway thing. It didn't really, wasn't really plot pivotal. But they probably would have gotten some shit if it wasn't in there. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and Douglas Adams wrote that screenplay. So, so that makes sense that, that like, you know, like we said, they, they add some stuff that isn't in the first book, but it's almost like it's safe to say that everything that is in that movie from the first book is like super accurate. The language is super on point. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they, they had to cut a few things. They toned, you know, they simplified some stuff. Um, so it didn't go on quite as long because it's, you know, they got to play to people's attention span. Yeah. Like one, the first thing I noticed was like when he's arguing with Mr. Prosser in front of the thing and he, you know, talks about like, it's been, you know, the plans have been on display in the planning department. And he, all he says is, it's, you know, in the cellar Whereas yeah. in the book, he, you know, it's like it, it was in the cellar, you know, where the stairs had collapsed and in, in a locked filing cabinet in the back of a lavatory or something Yeah, <laughs> with an out of order yeah. sign or some shit. It's like <laughs> really fucking ridiculously hard to find. Yeah. But as far as the characters go, man, I thought, I mean, they, they fucking killed it. Every, everybody did. What do you think of uh, most death as, uh, as Ford prefect? I, I thought he did a great job. Yeah. But, like he, it was, it was, it was shocking to me at first because when you read something, you have, you have an idea in your head and you know, like Martin Freeman sure fits right in with, with my idea of Arthur Sam Rockwell is as, uh, Zaphod totally, but, but yeah, like I, I had a much different person in my head than most deaf. So it, it was, it was interesting. I mean, visually, yeah, but I think personality wise, he played the character. Like he was, you know, kind of nonchalant and aloof and, you know, like, like not really noticing what's going on, but, and being just kind of enthusiastic and not, you know, not panicking, being kind of unconcerned about whatever's going on to a yeah, degree. And there was one thing that that uh, in the description of Ford Prefect in the book that that I knew would be hard to put into a movie, but there, there was something about like the vague impression that he didn't blink often enough. Yeah. Like that, that 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 always struck me as funny because like he looks humanoid, but like if you saw somebody who just didn't seem to blink, you're just like, wait a minute, wait a minute, like it's just something that's slightly off. When I didn't look in the movie, I did not see how many times he blinked. 
Yeah, I, I, I never, <laughs> I never noticed a, a lack of blinking. But I mean, the, the character of Trillian is not so, um, outlandish and, and wacky, uh, or, you know, not as comical as the rest of them in, even in the book. So like in the movie, Zoe Deschanel, like, okay, great. But personally, I'm just, I'm not a big fan of hers. I don't, I don't like, I don't like the way she delivers lines and all that, all that fucking look at me. I'm a musician shit from a decade ago. <laughs> she rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, th- I mean, I think she did fine. They kind of changed, you know, they, they definitely kind of made it more of a love story between the two of them, which, yeah. which I didn't really have a problem with though, because in the book and, you know, and in all the old source stuff, Arthur's pretty upset that Zaphod came and like stole this girl from him. Yeah. But they don't really go into them really hitting it off very well. So like playing, spending a little bit more time, like, yeah, they were really into each other and he really thought he had something before Zaphod showed up. Makes sense. Yeah. And like sort of giving a little more, a little more of a, uh, a reason for Arthur to try to be more outgoing and stuff because he lost out on the chance. Like when he, you know, when she's like, let's go to Madagascar and he he makes, he makes the excuse not to. And then Zaphod just shows right up, you know, he's like, Hey, want to see my spaceship sort of thing. And yeah. And I think it made the motivations there a little clearer, which makes sense for a movie like that. Cause you don't, you don't have, especially if it's people going into it, you don't have, you know, five books of knowing these characters to just accept it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and in the original, it's, it's a, you know, it's a 30 minute, it's a radio drama. So like you can kind of just gloss past shit that you don't really have that liberty, um, you know, like a full production Hollywood movie. Like you need to make sure people can empathize with the characters. Yeah. Well, and uh, another thing I loved about the movie was the way they visually represented the, uh, the improbability drive. Yeah. So you've got the starship heart of gold, which has a, a improbability drive, which Essentially, when you activate it, it sends you through every single possible solution or every every possibility ever and then finds uh, finds the improbability of or, you know, like whatever factor it is, like eight million five hundred and forty seven to one. And then it restores normality. So then you get visuals like at one point they're like they're like yarn dolls. Yeah. And, and they're they're all like still talking, and it looks like stop motion animation. And weren't they like couches at some point? I remember that yes. happening in the book. Too, they were right? sofas, yeah, for yeah. a brief period. I I love that shot of the yarn shot where Arthur's like stumbling over, and he's he's gonna barf, and then like he. Go, I love the way they did because he's like yarn. He's a yarn man, and he goes over to the yarn trash can and barfs yarn <laughs> into it, and then it kind of like cuts up, and like the yarn. It's got a yarn trash can, but now he's got a normal hand, and as it pans up, he goes to normal, and he's pulling yarn out of his mouth. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that was fucking brilliant. I love that. Yeah, because you you got to imagine that. I mean, I don't have the facts in front of me, but they couldn't have had a giant budget. Like, I I just don't think that Hollywood. You know, that it it probably wasn't teeny tiny because they they did have a lot of special effects, but they did they did such a good job with the uh, with the budget that they did have with like the the practical effects of the Vogons. And then the the CGI of their ships and the Heart of Gold and and Magrathia itself. I mean, I bet. I mean, they they had to have a decent budget. Let's see, uh, about fifty million dollars. Oh, geez, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. As far as like, I mean, I, I guess none of the cast really commanded such a huge price tag that that uh, you know they didn't have any like Tom Cruises in there where they're spending twenty million just to get them in the picture. They had a lot of. 
I mean, at least who I think of as big names. I mean, well, I mean, like Sam, Sam Rockwell is well known, uh, but I I can't imagine that he still would have commanded more than like you know five million max. I guess, especially I mean, back then, Martin Freeman wasn't known back then. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. Some of the bit players, they had John Malkovich was in it. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. It Playing had, Yeah, it had um, fucking Alan Rickman was the voice of Marvin. Yeah. Uh, Warwick Davis was the guy in the fucking suit for Marvin. Yeah. Had Helen Mirren was the voice of Deep Thought. Stephen Fry narrated it. I mean, they're. I imagine all of these people are probably like, you know, fans of the series as well. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting how many big names they have there. But like, like even that list there, like I know every single one of them. I love every single one of their their performances. But like none of them, like they they've got like they assembled the the best non super expensive cast ever. <laughs> I guess that's fair. <laughs> but it, it's interesting going back and reading the book after after watching that movie because it is so visually great. That like I I actually had a hard time reading it once when I when I started reading it like a year or two ago because I just had the movie visuals and I couldn't remember my imagined looks for all the characters. I was just seeing the movie and it was really frustrating to me. Yeah, I mean, I think they did a pretty good job with most of the looks. Yeah, yeah. Other than the design of the Heart of Gold, I did not like it all. It didn't look anything like a running shoe. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that description. Yeah. Yeah, I was not expecting a spherical ship. Yeah. But I liked like their Marvin design better than the BBC show. It the BBC show was very uh, you know, late 70s cheesy robot look. Yeah. Though I did notice the original Marvin robot design was in like the line at the Vogon bureaucracy thing where they have to go and oh, turn the phone no in. Oh, no shit. Yeah, the the, the, Mar the original Marvin robot is totally standing in that line. I thought that was awesome. Yeah, and like the one thing that didn't bother me about having the movie so strong in my head when I was reading the book was Alan Rickman's voice as Marvin. Like I, I read every single Marvin line in Alan Rickman's voice, and it was perfect. Oh, yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, that is that is excellent. That is a good yeah, thing. It was to brilliant. Do. What do you say? You want to take a break? Yeah, sure. Hi, this is Lisa, the older sister. I'm Jen, the middle sister, and I'm Amy, the youngest. We are the hosts of Mama Never Told Us podcast. Just three women making middle age our bitch and discussing every topic under the sun, like our secret superhero identity. Or how to make a semen cocktail. Sibling torture and rude people. Sweaty boobs and bladder failures. And so much more. So come laugh along with us or at us. Definitely make sure you bring drinks. Uh, we're hilarious when you're drunk. So catch <laughs> us every Tuesday. All right, we are back. Welcome back, Ben. Hey, John. Did you have a good break? Oh, not really, but it was good that I had a break. There you go. That's yeah. almost the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, of course, like we always do, let's get into some structure. The, the very thing that the first half of this show lacked completely it, entirely <laughs> <laughs> sorry everyone is <laughs> a bit random but not in the good douglas adams way um or maybe it is i don't know i'm all i'm always surprised when i think we've done an awful show and i go back and listen to it i'm like oh hey look at that that wasn't so awful yeah the magic of editing i wonder what our worst episode is uh, i think it's drunk booze cast oh yeah yeah that episode's a fucking shit show <laughs> Man, I need to go back and listen to that because I remember not 
thinking it was that bad. Oh boy. I mean, it's not terrible, but it is, it's fucking, it's sloppy. We're drunk. It shows. (laughs) It's a reason we don't drink that heavily normally. Yeah, everybody's told me that's listened to that episode about how shit-faced you sound and how I don't sound that drunk. Yeah, well... And I I mean, I wasn't as drunk as you, because I I had that moment when we were getting shitty that, uh, where, like, I I felt kind of sick, so I had to slow down a little bit, but then I tried to to catch up. I did not remember recording the second half of that episode the next day. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it, it was like, it was a surprise when it came out. Um, so what's your first impression? So the, the first thing that I ever got introduced to, which I think is probably a lot of people's, is was the books. Um, my buddy Ron brought me the first copy and was like, man, you got to read this. It is awesome. And uh, I was in sixth grade at the time, which is weird thinking about it now, because that means he was in fourth grade. Yeah. Because he was two but years younger. He, he was younger a smart me. cookie, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, is. He, yeah. He, he was really smart. I don't know about <laughs> it anymore. No. Um, yeah, no, which is just fourth grade seems almost a little young, but uh, I mean, they're not super complicated books. And he was right. They were awesome. I, I remember, I don't think I'd laughed maybe at all while reading a book before, <laughs> um, but uh, I laughed just so much uh, reading all of these books and reading them over and over again as a kid. Yeah. How many times do you think you've read uh, let's say the first book or the entire series. I've probably only read the first one a few times more than the whole series, but I've probably, I, I would say I've read through the full series maybe five or six times. Holy shit. Yeah. Like a lot. Like it was, I remember like reading all the way through them and then getting excited. Cause, uh, like I, he had the first four. And so I just read his, you know, his copies of those books and then, um, finding out that there was a fifth one and going and reading that and being excited. So I think I read the first four like twice and then found out there was a fifth one and had to go buy it. And uh, I, that, I think that's the only one I still have. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't have any of the other copies. I don't know where they went. I, th- I think they mostly went to me handing them to other people and being like, you haven't read this? Here, re- go read this. Yeah, do it. Yeah. Give it back to me when you're done. And uh, those fiends decided to keep it. Or, you know, hopefully they just they did the same thing with somebody else. Yeah, I've done that with a uh, with a graphic novel that I really love that just flew under the radar and I saw like two copies of it at the used bookstore for like 5 bucks a piece. So I bought them both just so I could pass it around to people. Yeah, I don't find much time to read anymore cuz usually by the time I'm ready to read a book, yeah, it's it's been a long day. I've been working all day and I'm like sitting down and it's quiet, the kids are in bed and uh that means I fall asleep. Yep. So it's hard for me to like get, you know, more than 30 minutes into reading a book before I'm fucking out. That's why I kept uh, this last time around, I kept my copy of the book in the bathroom where I do, you know, it's it's the one place that's quiet in the house. But even there, like I start getting sleepy. Well, yeah, because eventually you train your brain to, to realize that, you know, books mean sleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh but no, I, I absolutely loved these books as a kid. Um, they were just, a you know, a window into a world of ridiculousness and silliness that uh, that really meshed well with my young mind. And just going through and having, you know, this the, the this big, serious sci-fi, you know, the, the universe, essentially, and then just having the origin of everything be something patently absurd. Yeah, something totally ridiculous, and that's just how it is. Going through and having, you know, there's a restaurant that watches the end of the universe, and uh, 
the uh, the whole you know disaster area of the world's or the universe's loudest band and stuff. And uh, with life, the universe, and everything. There was like a cricket team, like a like a race of cricket playing people that were trying to destroy the universe. <laughs> yeah, that was another thing I was going to touch on earlier. Is like my my vague memories of the rest of the series is like I remember them coming to like a big important cricket match, and like there was a robot there or something. Or I, yeah, I think it, the, pl- it w- the planet was called Cricket. Oh, that's right. But it was like K R I K K I T. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And they've got to, they've, yeah, they've got to save the universe. Apparently, and I didn't know this until recently, the, um, that book was adapted from a, uh, script that Douglas Adams wrote for a Doctor Who movie. Oh, no shit. And then changed it around so that, uh, like the uh, kind of split what the Doctor was going to do between Slur to Bartfast and Arthur. Oh, cool. Man, I'm, I'm really looking forward to reading the other books again because, like I said, I'd I'd read, I've read Restaurant a couple more times than the rest of the series, and um, so like I, I'm I'm almost a little bummed that I have to get through Restaurant again because I want to read the other ones so much more, but I know I can't just skip it. I you know I bet you could. Um, I mean I I know I could just because I'm I'm pretty comfortable with what went on. Like it, there may be a few things where I'm like wait what was this. And I might miss a couple callbacks here and there, but uh, I don't think I'd be lost. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe find a decently detailed summary online. I'm sure yeah. it exists. But the read is, but it's, it is such a fun read and they're not long books. Yeah. Yeah. And restaurant especially, I think is, is pretty, is a pretty quick read. Yeah. And almost nothing happens in that book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like they go to the restaurant at the end of the universe and then they steal the dude from disaster areas like stunt ship. Yeah, yeah, like they get in his limo and it like starts shooting towards the uh, the sun. The, the yeah, yes. I just remember a big long descri- description about like how black it is. Yeah, he's the the blackest black that ever blacked. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I think so long and thanks for all the fish was the one with the flying. Yeah, and and the the girl. Um, I remember she's got like a very. It sounds like a very like old old British woman name. Uh, Fenchurch. Yes, Fenchurch, Fenny. Yeah, yep. <laughs> and then, uh, and then I remember mostly harmless. It was always my least favorite, just because it didn't seem to feel quite the same as the rest of them for some reason. Yeah, I don't know if it was the the space that he kind of took between there, but uh, and he like him and Trillian have a daughter. For or I mean, uh, Arthur and Trillian. Yeah, I think she like takes his dna and makes a daughter or something holy shit i really do not remember that at all yeah i just remember her name was random frequent flyer dent oh totally and uh she had something to do with the story and i think everyone died at the end (laughs) holy shit all right that's the one i got some some shit to look forward to. that's probably the one i've read the least um and I guess if, if I'm right about everyone dying, I'm really curious where they pick the next book up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, they the books just dro- brought me so much uh, joy. And uh, thank you, Ryan, for introducing me. Yeah. Well, you know, my, my first impression, if I was going to really nail it down to the first time I heard about anything, was I remember hearing you in, uh, in elementary school. So it must have been right after you started listening to it, because I remember specifically being on the soccer field area of Oak Chan 
Oh, and yeah. hearing you say Zaphoid Beeblebrox. And I I remember now, I don't know why I snapped or snapped my fingers during that. Hold on. Because that's what happens I, when you remember. Yeah, it's true. Oh, yes, like that. That I remember when I started reading the book and and read it as like I was like, okay, Zaphoid Beeblebrox. And I was like, wait a minute. Hey, there's <laughs> there's no I there. <laughs> there is it's not Zaphod. <laughs> and apparently I was still wrong. Uh, but I remember you saying that name. And it was in association to to this book series that I'd never read. But I always thought, like, I could have sworn that the the alien character in My Teacher is an Alien was named that. So I was like, yeah. what is going on with this other book series that's using this character's name? And I, I never went and looked it up until, like, 20 minutes ago. And apparently the, the teacher's name in that was Broxholm. That's almost the same. Yeah. So my, my little my little kid brain. Yeah, you know, at least it, it wasn't just like George Jefferson and, and you know, there's there's no relation whatsoever. Um it started with a B. Yeah. And so does Beeblebrox. Yeah. I mean it had it had Brox in it. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. So I remember that, but then fast forward to, you know, I never read any of those books back then. I, I didn't read much. But then when I went to college for whatever reason, I mean, I, I like to go into the bookstore and peruse and walk around. And I, um, I had just started reading heavily like the year before. I, I just wasn't much of a reader growing up. It was all comic books and superheroes. So reading heavily kind of corresponded with drinking heavily. <laughs> yeah, I started, guess. started both yeah. at the same time. Being very lonely <laughs> created two <laughs> habits, one great, one not. So I, I picked up the complete edition because i know i'd seen it at uh at your place and just from from the very start you know like i i had a lot of free time on my hands there in college when i wasn't drinking um or doing schoolwork here and there you know i just i devoured those books like the 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 very beginning description of humanity always being unhappy and then going into what the hitchhiker's guide was and then the the construction and getting mr prosser to lay down in front and ford's nonchalant way of talking about the the end of the world and i love his uh his interactions with the the people at the pub yeah you know when when, when they're just like when they're like, oh, you're going to watch the watch the game? It's like, yeah, no point. It's all, oh, you think it's going to be a, a clean out or whatever. You know, they're, they're just like he's he's telling them that the world's going to end. And they're they're just speaking to each other as if it's a very casual conversation, not really necessarily paying attention to what the other one's saying. And then and then, you know, it starts rumbling and he's like, oh, yeah, the world's ending is like, should we put bags over our heads? <laughs> Lie down. It's like, it's like, if you'd like, like, will it yeah. help? Nope. No, <laughs> not at all. And I, I, I love that shit. Or like the, the line from Mr. Mr. Prosser to, to Arthur, when he's laying in front of things, like, do you know how much damage yeah. it would do to the, or the bulldozer would, uh, would sustain if it ran, if I let it run over you. So how much? None at all. <laughs> like, oh, I, I love those setups. It just, it pulled me in real quick. It was, it was an easy, easy read. Um, as far as like, as far as language goes, you know, it, it didn't, it didn't talk down to you. It wasn't too stylistic that you couldn't keep up. And it, it was, it was a very attractive book and it, it made things make sense. Yeah. The, the hardest thing about it is trying to figure out how to pronounce all the crazy names. <laughs> yeah. No shit. Prostetnik, Prostetnik Vogon Jelts. Yeah. I, I do have to say, you know, like I said earlier with the names, like it was a little tough at first. Cause you know, if, if, if it is like, you know, Omni, 
Omnizax or something. You know, you're like, okay, yeah, that that's a very sci-fi name. But it uh yeah, those were tough. You got the great prophet Zarquan. That's pretty uh standard yeah. sci-fi sounding. Yeah. Well, and just when you have the silly names, it's kind of hard to recall them at times. Yes. Like when you're going back later, like, you know, if you're like, oh, there's Steve. I remember Steve from two chapters ago, but when it's, you know, the ravenous bug bladder beast of Troll, that's not quite as easy. Yeah. Or an, uh, an alcoholic beverage called the Pangalactic Gargle Blaster. That's a fun name, though. Yeah, I would drink one. Yeah. I, I want my brain bashed out by a lemon. <laughs> so thinking about what all the things I just said, um, we, we you know we kind of go into favorite use in pop culture next. And uh, mine was the books. And I literally just said all the things I was going to say about the books in my other Yeah. <laughs> and they are definitely my favorite favorite incarnation of the hitchhiker's guide just because douglas adams makes reading it so fun yeah and like like you know i i haven't seen the bbc one in many many years so i can't speak to that um i've i've read some of the comic books but that certainly doesn't beat the uh the books you know the movie i really really enjoy a whole lot but it doesn't beat the books so uh, just the same like it's it's got to be the books yeah, um, yeah. I mean, there was a computer game. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I have I have no experience with that. Did you ever get a chance to play that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I played it when I was a kid and uh, uh, rage quit. And uh, I tried it again <laughs> recently and um, pretty much did the same thing, except I found a walkthrough and got a little bit further through it. And uh, it is uh, you can actually play it for free on the BBC's website. No shit. Now, what what kind of game is it? Is it a text-based? It is a text-based adventure, you know, where, like, you type in, um, you know, like... Throw thermal grenade. Yeah, exactly. And I guess for its time, it came out in, like, 1984, I want to say. And for its time, it had the... One of the best speech parsers ever produced. Oh, cool. So its ability to take what you typed and turn it into something that the program understood was cutting edge that said we've come away since then so it's fucking a little hard sometimes um like it understand like in the in the manual which is the manual itself is a fun read and if you're going to play the game read the manual because it kind of tells you how to interact with the thing to have it be the most successful but it also has like the first four pages are like ad copy for the hitchhiker's guide and are a fun hilarious read as well now are there any visuals in this game at all uh, no, the screen changes color occasionally, like the background. That's about it. Ew. The one that the BBC kind of remade for like the 30th edition anniversary of it does have like little images up in like the upper right hand corner of kind of like where you're at. So it gives you some sort of something to it. But the original one did not. It was all text. Now, does this game just go through the first book? It doesn't even like get all the way through the first book, really. Like it gets like two Magrathea, essentially. Hooray, you did it. But it's it is frustratingly hard. Like it it's you know those old text adventure games are just tough as it is. Um and you you really have to take cues like if you haven't read the books or seen any of the media surrounding it, it would be near impossible to play. Like it's definitely like you know, you see the bulldozer and so and it describes the mud and you're like, "Okay, well, I know I need to go lay down in that mud." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that kind of stuff and and like it, it has it takes its cues from the book. And you, if you aren't familiar with the book, like really familiar with the book, it is incredibly difficult. Like I wrote 
you know, lay down in the mud. And it was like, I don't know what that means. And I was like, what, what the fuck do you mean you don't know what that means? And then I looked up the walkthrough and it's like, type in, lie down in the mud. And I was like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> so it's, it's hard, but it is fun and has a lot of fun little bits of dialogue and stuff in it that are entertaining. But it, it's not, don't go into it, go into it, just play through with the walkthrough so that you see what's going on. And uh, even dying is fun. Like I remember when I was going through and like I Ford came by and like said something and then I like I went to follow him and you're not supposed to do that. So like, you know, they knock your house down and a brick hits you in the head and and it's like, you're like, you're dead. But like, it's still got the cursor and I'm like, okay. And I like typed in like, don't be dead. And, and it was like, and it was like, quiet, you, you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> like the ambulance comes to take you away. And so it's got a bunch of fun little dialogue. Like it's all written by Douglas Adams. So it is still good, but yeah. it is, uh. Like hair pulling out frustratingly difficult. See, I've never understood the, I mean, I, I know back then there was no choice. That's what video games were, but I've, I've never been able to understand, uh, text-based games. It just does not make sense to me that without any visuals, like, I mean, I guess it's kind of like an interactive book, but yeah, I, I guess I just need visual stimulation. I think there's one that's called like AI adventure or something like where like it writes a story around the stuff you type in to do. And it's more fun to play um, because it's so ridiculous and stupid that rather than it actually making sense. Yeah. So we were still not even there, but for 1984, this was a phenomenal piece of, of software advancement. Like it, he was trying to do something with a computer that uh, no one had done successfully before. And he didn't necessarily do it successfully, but he did it more successfully than anyone else ever had. So good on you, Douglas Adams. Yeah, but still not your favorite use in pop culture, right? Uh, no, God, no. <laughs> Even Starship Titanic, like he tried it again years later and that game is still really cool. Like it had like all kinds of branching narrative and stuff you could do in it. It was neat, but I, I think his ambition outweighed the technology in both cases. See, I think I, I I didn't know that a book existed on that game, and I would really like to get my hands on that book. I have it. I will. I will. I can put it in your hands. Oh well, after all this coronavirus thing is over, nah. Want <laughs> to hose it down with Lysol? Yeah. <laughs> Every single page. Now, I mean, for some reason, like I mean, maybe it's just that I don't recognize the name of the guy who did the uh, the sixth Hitchhiker's Guide book. But like hearing that Terry Jones wrote a Douglas Adams story sounds promising. Yeah. Yeah. We, he already know. He's a funny guy. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, can, I can trust him. Well, cool. I didn't know shit about that video game. Yeah. It's uh, I'll, I'll put a link to it. You can also download the original version on Abandonia. I don't think I will. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that is something that's going to happen. But I'll, I'll put a link to the BBC one in the show notes. So okay. anyone that does want to give it a shot can. Yeah, and then you can let us know what you thought about it. So I don't have a ranking list per se, but I did make a list of random shit in the book that happens that I loved. And I mean, if I would set out to do this from the very beginning of the book, it would be I, I could do a whole bonus episode where I'm just reading them and I'm sure it would be super entertaining. Yeah, that would be everyone's favorite, I'm sure. Yeah. 
But I just wanted to call out some of the uh, some of the super random moments in the book that just make me laugh so hard or, you know, just just shit that that is so indicative of Douglas Adams genius and and why I love his books so much. So, of course, we've got the aforementioned uh, Ford prefect convincing uh, Mr. Prosser, the the foreman, to lay down in front of the bulldozer. Like, it's such a quick little exchange and it's such a a bit of uh of you know it like ford just says something as if it's super logical and then the guy is just like oh yeah of course <laughs> yeah of course i need to lay down in the mud somebody's got to be doing this and then then of course there's the dolphins that we talk you know us thinking that they're just doing tricks and and they're actually trying to send us warning messages about the the world being destroyed yeah i like how later on they're the ones that fund the construction of the second earth yeah. In their Save the Humans campaign. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we've got a dude who wondered where all his ballpoint pens ended up, then got hammered and imagined there was a planet of ballpoint uh, pen life forms, which actually turns out to be true. We've got Arthur's words getting carried through time and space via a wormhole. It sets a <laughs> civilization into a multi-millennia spanning galactic war. Then they realize it came from our galaxy and launched an attack on Earth where they are quickly swallowed by a dog. One of them is he's described as being resplendent in his bejeweled battle shorts. <laughs> yeah, battle shorts. Um, and then we've got uh, Marvin, the uh, the depressed or paranoid Android. They do call him a paranoid Android once, and I'm and I'm curious if that's where Radiohead got the uh, the name for their song "Paranoid Android." But Marvin causes a ship to kill itself by talking to it. <laughs> yep. Like they comes back and this ship is just shut down, and they're like, "What happened?" It's like it it killed itself after talking to me. Paraphrasing, of course. And one more bit of dialogue that's an example of why I love Douglas Adams, and like the the sort of thing that just gets lost like in a movie because they, they they do put it in the movie but when when arthur just says you know when the world's ending and he's in the pub and he says must be a thursday i never could get the hang of thursdays yeah like, ah. um so if you want that stuff uh much better <laughs> go read the books uh all right so i think that just leaves us to uh to our one word review and, and some closing notes. It, uh, the, I think the one word that I would use to describe all of uh, Hitchhiker's Guide and, and all of Douglas Adams' work in general is witty. Okay. It's just his, his writing style is that kind of Anglo wit, you know, the British cleverness of, you know, m mixing words around and just coming up with stuff that's uh that like dialogue that's just clever and funny and quick and uh really just uh tickles me yeah um like terry pratchett is the same is kind of the same thing with fantasy you know where they both have that it's everything's like they take situations and and concepts and kind of bend them to their logical extremes and make them absolutely ridiculous and yet still relatable and funny I've tried a couple times to start, uh, what is it, Color of Magic, the first in his uh, whatever world series. Yeah, Discworld. Yeah, yeah. And for whatever reason, I just, I can't, I can't get into it. Oh, I don't know it? if I've just been in the wrong frame of mind or what, but. Well, you're, you're definitely wrong, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> uh, I'll that. accept that. I'm okay with that. Because <laughs> Terry Pratchett is also great. But um, but yeah, I think it's just the it, that's what I love about it is the, kind of the 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 kind of the quick witted banter that goes between the characters and just kind of taking taking nothing for granted and you know making a universe that is just full of complete silliness and uh, hilarity, I guess. Yeah, like he he never takes himself too seriously or seriously at all. Like like the, everything is is a joke essentially, and I like that. Yeah. You know, the, the one word that I chose to grab, because I, I, I didn't want to just say the word random again, so I'm not going to. Uh, that's not going to be my one word, but I was looking for something that more told the story of how absurd this whole series is. So my one word for this is preposterous. There you go. And it's not in a negative way whatsoever. But just the things that happen and the way they happen and the explanations for everything, uh, they, they are so they are so absurd and preposterous that, you know, like it 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 takes the the mind of a, of a madman to create something like this because nothing makes sense. But at the same time, it makes absolute perfect sense in making no sense. It's such a conundrum that. You know, I, I really feel like this is a big reason why when we are writing our comic book, Space Oddities, why we take the approach. Of, I've always just referred to it as the quote unquote, why not approach? Because, you know, it's 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 like, oh, OK, why? Why? How do they understand each other? It's like, oh, they uh, they put a fish in their ear and it and it translates. And you're like, OK, yeah, why not? Yeah, sure. You know, it's. It's ridiculous that you could just as easily go fall back on the sci-fi trope of like, oh, here's a little earpiece. No, you actually shove a fish into your ear that wiggles into your brain or some shit and translates like that's nuts. Yeah. That was used as a, as proof that God didn't exist. Yes. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Roundabout bit of logic. And, and the thing that's so fun about the kind of the why not approach is that, uh, is it really that much more ridiculous than anything else? You know, yeah. it's like, is, is it really that ridic ridiculous thing? There's like a religion out there that thinks that uh, the universe was created when some great being sneezed and they're all worried about the coming of the great white handkerchief to wipe existence away. <laughs> yeah. More ridiculous than any other creation myth. <laughs> like, sure, it's it's silly, but it is uh, it's not any less reasonable. Um, so yeah, just the absurdist, uh, nature of this entire series. And I love what it's done for us. And, th and that is, I, I, even though I know you hate praise and, uh, but you've heard me say this before. That's why I love writing with you because I'm such a standard story man, but you know, we, we get you in there and then that's how we get characters like, like Jorge McSanchez and, um, fucking, well, I don't want to give too much away. <laughs> no, uh. Well, uh, yeah, I, I even have a problem with it sometimes because uh, I like I like the cohesive universe where like it is you know, like everything makes sense and you got to tie it together. But throwing that out the window sometimes and just saying, you know, here's silly shit. It's a, it's real. It's now canon. I don't care if it makes any sense is fun. Yeah. Well, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide. If you haven't read it, read it. Do it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so thank you very much folks for hitching a ride with us today. 
If you want to let us know what you thought of today or any other day's episode, you can hit us up at email at geeksplorationpodcast.com. Shoot us a email on there. Um, we are on the social medias, Facebook, Geeksploration, the podcast page, Instagram, Geeksploration Podcast, or Twitter at Pod. And hey, we actually started uh, getting some uh, getting some traction with uh, with some people on on the social medias besides just your your stellar Twitter uh, twitting. So, well, I'm, I'm stoked. I'm quite a twit. Yeah, yeah. So uh, if you enjoyed the show or hated it or uh, you know want to review it, uh, go to Apple Podcasts or Podchaser and uh, leave us a, a five towel review. We, uh, we got merch available at shop.geeksplorationpodcast.com if you are so inclined. And our theme song is Cruising for Goblins by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. And remember, don't panic. <laughs>